0: Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy.
1: Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Oh, oh, that was a week good, but uh, hopefully you'll warm up as the service goes on. Anyways, welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron DeMaster. I'm the pastor here. Uh, you're in for a uh, service that's about a one hour long, and our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. I'm super excited about today because I'm not speaking, actually. We have a guest speaker that I'm excited to learn from, and I hope you are, too. We're kicking off a new series uh, starting today. It's called "Summer in the Psalms." I challenged a lot of y'all, the 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 church as a whole, to start reading through the Psalms uh, this summer. Some of you maybe have been slacking. Some of you maybe are on 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 point right now, but. We're, we're going to be talking about the Psalms, and Amy Holly is actually coming on up. You can kind of bring your, your stand on over. And she's going to kick off kind of how to understand the Psalms, how to, how to read the Psalms. And she's going to give us kind of an introductory on it. And then throughout this whole series, we're going to have different people share a little bit of Psalms that have stuck out to them as they've been reading through uh, over this whole summer. So I'm going to hand it off to Amy, and then she'll take us through it.
0: I don't know about you guys, but I'm just kind of thinking maybe we should just scrap the message completely and just look at a slideshow of little Claire. I think that might be a better use of our time. No, just kidding. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you this morning about the book of Psalms. I'm not going to actually dig into any particular psalm or Bible passage this morning. Instead, I'm going to give you kind of a bird's eye view of the book as a whole and um, hopefully provide some information that will help all of us, myself included, just really know how to understand what God is wanting to say to us through this incredible book. Um, and if you have been reading, as Aaron said he's been encouraging you to do, hopefully you've already experienced some of this. But before I get into all that, let's pray together. Um, Father, thank you so much for this incredible gift that you have given us called your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the way it teaches us. And it lets us know what your heart is towards us and what your plans and purposes for us are and what your plans and purposes are for History in general, I pray that as we um, just look into this book over the summer, um, that you would help us to see you as you really are and help us to align ourselves with the things that you say are true and good and right so that we can have our minds renewed with your truth and we can draw close to you. And we can live in the way that you desire us to because you love us so much and you have only good in our in, in mind for us. So we pray that you would teach us this morning in your name. Amen. Well, as Aaron said, this message is the introduction to the summer and the psalm series. And as he said also, over the coming weeks, there will be different people sharing about individual psalms that have been particularly meaningful to them. But today... Um, I just want us to look at a couple of major threads that we can kind of see running through the book of Psalms and talk about the ways that the Lord might use this book in our lives to help us grow close to him. And before I do that, though, I want to give you just some kind of introductory material about the book. Um, The book of Psalms is the longest book in the entire Bible. The Bible is made up of 66 books. And this particular one is unique in the sense that it has No stories or lengthy prophecies. It's not a letter full of doctrine and practical application like the New Testament letters. Instead, the Book of Psalms is really a collection of poems, prayers, and songs. Um, These individual little compositions were written by a variety of human authors um, over hundreds of years, and then they were compiled over time into a collection of 150 writings, and we call each of these individual writings Psalms. And then those 150 psalms, if you're reading this summer, you might notice that they um, are divided into five books, each book ending with a section of praise. Um, Here are a couple other fast facts about the book of Psalms. Um, Bible scholars kind of guesstimate that most of them were written between about 1000 B.C. and the 500s B.C., although there's at least one from Moses that goes all the way back to 1450-ish B.C., Um, and some might have been written as late as the 400s. Um, As I said, um, one of the Psalms dates all the way back to like 1450. That was written by Moses, and he's written at least one of the Psalms. Other writers of the Psalms include King Solomon, a man named Asaph who seems to have been a worship leader in the temple. There were a group of men who called themselves the sons of Korah, also probably descended from a worship leader. Um, There are two guys, we don't know much about them, one named Ethan, one named... He-man or He-man. Anybody here ever watch She-Ra and He-man as children? That's what that name always makes me think of. I'm super old, so most of you probably don't know that. And then King David um, wrote uh, about half of the Psalms. Um, 73 of them are attributed to David right within the text, and then another two um, New Testament writers say David wrote those. And then there's a full one-third of those 150 Psalms that are left anonymous. We don't know who wrote them. Now, the book of Psalms is found in the Old Testament, but it is widely quoted in the New Testament, 116 times to be exact. Um, 61 of the 150 Psalms are actually referred to in the New Testament, and all but two of the New Testament writers included words from the Psalms when they were scripting um, their inspired um, words that ended up in the New Testament. Um, People like Mary, the mother of Jesus, Zachariah, the father of John the Baptist, Peter, Paul, and even Jesus himself all quoted from the Psalms, so they clearly knew this particular book of the Bible quite well. Here's a really random piece of information um, that's really not significant unless you happen to be on Jeopardy someday and you get Bible as your category. Both the shortest and longest chapters of the Bible are found in Psalms. They're found just two two chapters apart from each other. Psalm 117 is the shortest. Psalm 119 is the longest, and then. Psalm 118, in between them, happens to be the very middle chapter of the Bible. Again, nothing significant, just a weird fact. Um, As I mentioned, the 150 psalms are arranged into five books, each ending with a a praise to God. And while those psalms appear to be grouped and arranged intentionally, each one of them can stand um, on its own and be read and studied that way as an independent composition. Um, This is great if you are wanting to go beyond reading the scriptures, which is awesome, into really studying the scriptures. The Psalms is a really good book to start because there are just these short texts that you can read and study by themselves. So it's a great place to begin if you want to begin to just kind of dig into the Bible a little bit more deeply. Now, when you're reading the Psalms, you might notice that about three quarters of them include some sort of introductory information. Some of them include the name of the psalm's author for example um, one one says a prayer of Moses the man of God one says a psalm of Asaph one psalm doesn't say who wrote it but says it was written by a prayer or it's a prayer of one overwhelmed with trouble pouring out problems before the Lord which is really cool um, some psalms describe the situation that prompted the person to write it for instance, in Psalm 51, the, the title or the introductory information says, a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Another one, Psalm 3, says a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Um, if you ever encountered this kind of information, I really encourage you to look up, if you have time, look up the backstory of the psalm if it's possible. Um, not all of those backstories are included in the scriptures, but a lot of them are. And if you read those stories that come behind the writing in the psalm, that'll help you have better understanding. Some psalms include a description of how the psalm was intended to be used. For example, it might say for Sabbath, or a wedding song, or this one's for giving thanks, or this one is for teaching. Sometimes psalms include notes for worship leaders. So if Kip lived back in those days, he would maybe have some information about how the person wanted the the lyrics to be used. Psalm 22 says it's to be sung to the tune of Doe of the morning. I don't know if that was in 6 8 time. Perhaps it was. I don't know. Um, Psalm 5 says it's written for flutes. 4 is to be played with stringed instruments. And then there are other Psalms that have Hebrew words that we really don't quite know the meaning of, although they're most likely either literary or musical terms. So if you see that, if you see a Hebrew word, like in Psalm 16, it says a mictom of David. Psalm 12 says it's according to Shemineth. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing these correct. Uh, Many Bibles just leave these words in Hebrew because we don't know exactly what they mean. But all this goes to say, whenever you read a psalm, if you find introductory information attached to it, just take a little note of what's written there because it might help you better understand what the psalmist is trying to say. Now, as far as content goes, the psalms um, themselves address a wide variety of themes. Um, They very loosely fall into two broad categories, I'd say happy psalms, and sad psalms. Sometimes people say psalms of praise, psalms of lament. And then within those two large categories, Bible scholars have noted a number of recurring themes that just sort of show up over and over again throughout the book. Um, For instance, many psalms have a kingly or a messianic theme. Um, These psalms might be talking about a historical king of Israel, but these psalms also give us clues about a coming messiah, a coming king, who would one day establish and reign over a new kingdom in other words they give us clues about jesus hundreds of years before he was born because the bible's inspired by god and he could predict that so psalms 2 22 and 110 these are all examples of messianic psalms and by the way for each of these themes i'll give you at least one psalm that falls into that category in case you want to check it out yourself if you are a note taker some psalms themes or some psalms have the theme of teaching These psalms are intended to instruct or teach truth. Other psalms are imprecatory. That's a really weird word. To imprecate, I had to look it up actually. To imprecate means to pray evil against someone. So these particular psalms are ones that maybe call on God to punish or inflict justice on somebody's enemies. These are kind of weird ones to read. We'll go over this in just a moment. Um, But Psalms 58 and 137 are examples of these type of psalms. Some psalms are psalms of praise. They are just about celebrating God's character, his deeds, his unmatchable worth. Other psalms are laments. Um, In these psalms, the, the psalmist is expressing sorrow or pain or despair. And oftentimes, they will call out to God, like cry out to him just for relief from suffering. Another theme that we find in some of the psalms is that of thanksgiving. Um, psalms 120 to 134 are kind of special. They're labeled by the Bible itself as songs of ascent. Some scholars call them pilgrim psalms because these were a particular collection of psalms that the Israelites um, would sing as they made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for some annual feasts like the Passover. And the word ascent is used because Jerusalem was located up on a hill. Um, so in order to get there, they had to ascend. Um, Another theme found in the Psalms is confession and repentance where the writer admits sin and asks God for mercy. And then other kinds of Psalms that you can find, although maybe they're not quite as abundant, um, are historical Psalms where the writer is recounting God's faithfulness to his people over the years and the ways that God worked on their behalf. There are nature Psalms that just praise the character of God as it's seen um, outdoors And then there are devotional psalms that kind of take a particular topic and then expand it. Um, Psalm 1 is a good example of a devotional psalm. It sets up this contrast between the path of a godly person who meditates on God's word versus a wicked person who does his own thing. And just another interesting note some scholars who have studied the Bible have kind of suggested that that psalm that I just um, told you about. Psalm 1, where it it talks about the person that meditates on God's word. That psalm, along with the next one, Psalm 2, which is a messianic, kingly psalm, um, some people have suggested that those two psalms together form the introduction to the book because you see those two themes in the way that the books of psalms are arranged, the theme of God's word or Torah and the king of Israel sometimes referring to, like I said, a historical one, or sometimes to the Messiah. So you might notice that as you're reading, although if you don't notice that, it's totally okay. Um, Now, as you're reading through the Psalms on your own, you might find that what you're reading falls very neatly into those categories, those themes that I told you, or they might not. That is because, with the exception of the ones that are labeled Songs of Ascent, the Bible does not actually sort the Psalms into these categories that I just mentioned. However, I think it's good for us to kind of be aware of some of these recurring themes that we might find because it can be helpful for us when it comes to studying the Psalms. In general, good, solid Bible study involves looking at what the text itself says, asking ourselves, okay, what does it say? And then asking God to help us understand what the original author meant by it. And then after we've done that, after we've asked, okay, what does it say? What is God trying to communicate through this author? Then the next step would be to say, how does maybe God want me to put this kind of principle into action into my own life? But we need to do it in that order instead of just jumping into, well, what does it mean to me? Um, And that involves interpreting each psalm through the proper contextual lens. Now, I've heard Bible scholars say something like this, never read a Bible verse. And at first thought, you might be like, what, why would somebody tell me not to read a Bible verse? They are not saying don't read the Bible, not at all. What they're saying is, make sure you don't ever just read one verse and skip the other verses that come all around it. Because it's really important for us to read the context. Paying attention to context is always, always important when we're reading the Bible. But it's particularly important when we are reading certain genres Of literature within the Bible especially things like poetry which is found in the Psalms taking note of the theme of the psalm like just reading it all the way through and saying all right what is the general theme of this thing that will help us avoid some interpretation mistakes okay I'm gonna give you an example of an interpretation mistake that I saw recently online somebody I've never met somebody so it's not anybody in this room it's not anybody that you know from this area But somebody who lives far away, um, she put this verse on her Instagram account. Um, This is from an imprecatory psalm. Remember I said that those are calling, the psalmist is calling on God to exact justice on somebody. So in Psalm 137, here's what the writer says of the psalm. He says, O Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. Probably not good to read when we just showed a cute baby picture, right? Um, Now, I saw this lady quote this verse online recently, and she said something to the effect of, hey, listen, do not lecture me about your pro-life God when this is how he feels about babies. Now, that, I think, is a really horrible misuse of Scripture. The person who wrote Psalm 137 was expressing his own raw, honest feelings, not God's feelings about children, If you look at the context of this imprecatory psalm, the Babylonians had destroyed the city of Jerusalem and carried off many of the Jewish people to Babylon as captives. And the psalm is a description of how someone felt about this captivity at the hands of the Babylonians. It was not a universal prescription for how God wants us to get revenge on our enemies and certainly not a proof text to refute or promote a political stance. I mean, the psalm has nothing to do with 21st century politics. Now, description versus prescription is a really important distinction for us to make whenever we, we are reading scripture, um, especially poetic literature like the psalms. We need to ask ourselves a question like this. Okay, I'm reading this psalm, and Lord, help me understand, is this simply a description of what someone felt or did, or... Is this an actual prescription from the entirety of the Bible of how you want me to live? And in general, we should probably interpret Scripture in light of the—not not probably. We should interpret verses within the overarching teaching of the whole Bible. So something like Psalm 137, that should be read with other non-poetic, clear teaching passages in mind, like Jesus' clear teaching in the New Testament that children are precious to God. And Jesus' clear instruction to us who live um, with the Holy Spirit inside of us that we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Are you guys tracking with me? Understanding the unique characteristics of the Psalms can help us avoid misusing the Bible to make points that really don't reflect the true heart or character of God. And just asking the simple question, like, all right, is this this descriptive or prescriptive can often untangle any confusion and just kind of keep us on the right track. All right, so that is a bird's eye view of the whole book of Psalms. Although in order to really appreciate the full content of that book, um, we really just need to read it because the Psalms contain so much good stuff. They contain rich theology, truth about the nature and character of God. The Psalms use all sorts of really cool imagery to to talk about the Lord. The Psalms describe him as a tender shepherd, as a strong tower that we can cling to, as a refuge during hard times. They describe him as a glorious king, a mighty conqueror. And the Psalms also give us a lot of insight from God about human nature and the role that emotions play in our relationship with God. All these things are more and more are found in the Psalms and um, hopefully if you have started reading the psalms as Aaron has encouraged you to do hopefully you've noticed some of these things in your reading already or you will notice soon as you begin to read now with that said I'd like to focus the rest of our time on two major threads that we can see running throughout the book of psalms because I think the psalms really can be used by God to help us deepen our relationship with him in a way that really no other book of the bible does it's kind of special in the sense that it helps us with a couple of things. The first thread that maybe you've already noticed in the Psalms is that of honest emotion. Like I said, one thing that makes the Psalms so special is the depth of raw honesty that the Psalmists feel free to express to God. Um, The gamut of emotions runs from anger to joy to despair To confession, to contentment, and everything in between. The Psalms reveal uh, the longings and the passions and the hurts of people's hearts. And as they share these words from people's hearts, they serve as a model for us, um, as a model for us, for the kind of honesty that God invites us to share with Him. If you are a follower of Jesus, you've been adopted into God's family. You are his deeply loved child. And as such, um, you can come to him with all your feelings, all your needs, because he cares for you. In Psalm 62, and by the way, if you don't get anything else out of this message, this is what I would encourage you to take home. In Psalm 62, David says, "O oh my people, trust in him and the Lord at all times. Pour out your heart to him. For God is our refuge. The Psalms really help us see that God is a refuge. He is a safe place for us to pour out our hearts. He loves us. He is for us. And he is also wise. And he can counsel us. And he's powerful. And he can help us when we're hurting or when we're in trouble. And the reason I bring this up is that I think a lot of us, myself included, sometimes find it really difficult to just speak frankly with God maybe for a variety of reasons. One reason we might be hesitant to speak openly with God is that we think he'll disapprove or be upset with us for feeling a certain way. Um, Some of us have gotten this idea that, like, you know, good Christians shouldn't feel things like anger or depression, that we should just rise above these kind of emotions, but that's not true. I mean, part of our being made in the image of God involves our capacity to feel emotions, even the cruddy ones. I mean, Jesus himself, felt things like grief and anger. In fact, Isaiah 53 describes Jesus as a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Now, it is true that you and I, we do not always express our emotions in a righteous way, like Jesus always did, but the emotions themselves that we feel are neither good nor bad. And and here's the deal about the, the emotions that we feel. You know what, God already knows what we're feeling anyways, right? So we might as well just talk to him about those things and let his truth kind of just seep into our situations. In Psalm 139, David says, Oh Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You know what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. You know, you and I might be able to keep our feelings um, and our thoughts hidden from the people closest to us, even our spouses or our friends, but there's no hiding anything from God. So I encourage you, just go ahead and talk to him, whatever you're feeling, even if you have strong emotions towards him. Like maybe you're angry at him or disappointed in him, or he feels far away. You know, God is not going to be shocked by anything that you tell him. He's not going to say, oh, I can't believe you feel that way. He already knows it. And he can help us untangle all of our messy thoughts and emotions and speak grace and truth into our situations. And like I said, he's the ultimate counselor. He's all-knowing, he is full of wisdom, and he has our good in mind. So we can be honest with him and let him help us sort all that stuff out. You know, another reason we might hold back from pouring out our hearts to God is that we don't want to bother him with something as insignificant as our little feelings. After all, there's like world hunger and poverty and human trafficking and shootings and heartbreak all over the world. So why should I bother God with my relatively puny problem when there's all that bigger stuff? And here's what I would say to that. Please don't let the perceived size of your problems keep you from telling God about them because he does care. Um, Jesus once told his disciples in Matthew 10, he said, what is the price of two sparrows? Like one copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Now, out of all the insignificant details about my life, I'm guessing that the number of hairs on my head is pretty silly. Like, it's not super significant, right? Maybe that's more insignificant for some of us than others, by the way. Um, And yet Jesus says that God the Father cares about us so much that he even takes note of that silly little detail. So I'm guessing he cares about the rest of our lives too. In fact, I don't have to guess at that because 1 Peter 5, 7 says clearly, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. You know, when we pour out our hearts to God and we just get honest with him instead of thinking that we're bothering him, um, God comforts us like no one else can. And he can teach us truths that help us see things from his perspective. And then a third obstacle that I'm going to suggest this morning that might keep us from being honest with God might be guilt. Uh, Sometimes we kind of distance ourselves. I know I do this. Sometimes we distance ourselves from the Lord because we know that there's some sin that's standing between us and him. But instead of hiding, you know what? We can simply come clean with God. Again, he already knows what we've done. So when we confess, um, that clears the air and he forgives us. David mentions this in Psalm 32. He says, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. So instead of letting guilt keep you from God, just go to him. Confess it. Receive his forgiveness. The Bible makes it very clear that if we confess our sins to him, that he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us. So if you have ever hesitated to share your heart with God for any of these reasons or others that I haven't mentioned, or if you're still not convinced that it is okay to get brutally authentic with God, I really encourage you to read the Psalms because you are going to find people crying out to God, In all sorts of situations, when they feel overwhelmed or when they're hopeless, when they're feeling rejected or like God is super far away, when they're full of guilt and shame, when they're afraid or jealous or lonely or confused or just really ticked off at somebody and want revenge, the Psalms show us that it is okay to pour out our hearts to God and they help us understand that God is able to absorb those emotions and then help us sort all of it out in light of what he says is true. I love how a Bible teacher, um, he's, he's passed since he wrote this, his name is Ray Stedman, and he said about this about the Psalms, he said, the Psalms teach us how to be honest before God. If you have a problem, tell God about it. Don't hide it, don't cover up. Especially, don't get pious and sanctimonious and try to smooth it over. If you are angry with God, tell him, say so. If you're upset about something that he's done, tell him so. If you're resentful, bring it out. If you're happy and glad, express that. That is what worship is. It's a heart's honesty. As Jesus said to the woman at the well in Samaria, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. God is looking for that kind of worshiper. And as you worship in spirit and truth, you will discover a new source of strength. If you can be honest before God, even about those troublesome problems of wrong moods and attitudes, you will find grace answering your needs. And this brings me to the second... Thread that we see running all through the Psalms. We see honest emotion and we also see humble worship. Now, regardless of the moods that they expressed to God, the psalmists had this tendency to also come to a place where they humbly acknowledged and just worship God. Um, I think they were able to do this because they dealt with their emotions in the right context. They took them into God's presence and subjected their feelings to God's truth. They let God renew their minds um, with the truth about himself, about his goodness, his power, his faithfulness to them in the past, his justice. And and bringing their emotions to God and letting God flood them with truth brought them to a place of humble submission and worship before God. Um, Actually, what we sang just a little bit ago, that song, Yes, I Will, we said, Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I will. This is psalmist kind of language. Coming to God and saying, you know what, God? I'm in a super low valley. I'm so heartbroken right now. I'm so worried right now. And then when he meets us at that place where we're honest with him, our hearts begin to turn and we can say, you know what? Even though I'm in this low valley, God, you've been faithful to me for my whole life. So I don't have to be afraid. Or even though I'm going through this really hard time, you tell me in your word that you will never leave my side. So therefore, yes, I will praise you and I will choose joy even in this situation. Again, I'm going to quote from Ray Stedman. He says, All the Psalms are designed to teach us to do one thing, to worship. These Psalms reflect every human emotion, but they do so in a distinct and important way. They are emotions seen in relationship to God. Every psalm is written in the presence of God. Now, the psalms don't explicitly tell us how God met each of them in their hour of need or what God said to them to bring them to a place of peace or trust, but I know, I know from personal experience that just simply coming into God's presence and letting the truth of Scripture fill my thoughts, man, that brings perspective and peace to my heart like nothing else. I also know from Scripture that God responds when he comes to him and how he responds to us. Psalm, or I'm sorry, James 4.8 says, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. He promises. Get close to him. He will come close to you. Philippians 4 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Pour out your hearts to the Lord. Tell God what you need, and thank him for what he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Fix your thoughts. And what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You know, God assures us that when we come close to him, he will come close to us. When we pray and tell God what we need and we just fix our attention on him and what he says is true, he floods us with his peace. And I I think this is what the psalmist did. Instead of just trying to figure out everything on their own, they took all their stuff, to the Lord. And then, as God is so good at doing, I think what happened was he probably diverted their attention away from their problems and fixed their attention on him, which led them to a place of humble worship. And I think that's a really good model for us to follow. So here are a couple quick suggestions for us as we read the Psalms, um, ways that maybe God can use this particular book of the Bible in our lives to draw us close to him. First of all, use the Psalms as a model for how to communicate honestly with God. If you're ever hesitant to just be honest with God, read the Psalms and be encouraged by how candid these people were as they poured out their hearts to him. Number two, um, use the Psalms as a model of how to express emotion without sinning. I I think the Psalms really provide a model for us for how we can handle our feelings in a way that honors God. Like I said earlier, emotions themselves are not wrong. However, the thoughts and actions that we allow to spring from our emotions, those can be wrong. Um, Feelings never justify sin. So expressing honest anger to God is really good. You know, biting somebody's head off in our anger is not so good. Um, Coming to God and saying, God, I'm super lonely, that's so good. Um, seeking comfort for, lo- for loneliness through just being sexually promiscuous, that's probably not real healthy for us or good. Um, venting our frustration to um, the Lord about a certain situation is great, but gossiping and being bitter about it and letting that take root in our lives, that is, that is not good. The Psalms teach us the right way to express our emotions. They teach us to take our emotions to God where those emotions can be subjected to his authority and be viewed from his perspective in his presence so that we do not act in ways um, that hurt us and others and make an even bigger mess. All right, third, use the Psalms as a springboard for prayer. If you're having a hard time putting words to what you want to say to God, the Psalms is a great place to turn. When you find one that expresses how you're feeling, just feel free to pray those words right back to God. And remember, they're part of his inspired words, so you can let the truths that you find there help you align your thoughts with what he says is good. And then finally, number four, use the psalms to give words to your worship. I've talked a lot about mostly unpleasant emotions today, but the psalms, as I said, are also filled with joy and praise. So you can use the psalms to tell God how great he is, how much you love him, how content you are with him, to praise him for who he is. Um, I really think that if we understood even just a fraction of how much he loves us and what we've been saved from by him, that would just, like, ignite our worship. We can use the Psalms to celebrate who he is and express back to him how much we love him. So that is some food for thought for you as you explore this book over the next uh, few weeks. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the book of Psalms. Thank you for inviting us as your children to come to you with all of our needs, to tell you what is on our hearts, to pour out our hearts before you because you are our refuge. I pray that you would use the words of the Psalms, words that you inspired humans to write Um, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit so that they would be included in the Bible. Help us to use those words to give voice to our worship and our feelings and to remind us that you care about every part of our lives, good, bad, ugly, everything in between. Help us to submit our emotions and our thoughts to you so that you can align them with your truth. We pray this in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.